get into it. God, we want to thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the love that you give us. Thank you for what you're, you're stirring up here, God, and I pray that you would put on our hearts to recognize and to see the blessings that we take for granted every single day. I want to thank you for those blessings, Lord. And we receive them as, as a gift from you. But I pray that we would not become haughty or arrogant in them and that we would learn how to give the blessing away. And Lord, I pray this morning as we dive into your word that you would meet us where we need to be met. Pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So now I'm going to open this door because there are some big jumpies out in the driveway now if anybody wants to go out there after church and they're not making noise anymore. All right. So this week we're going to continue in chapter 2 of Malachi. And I really didn't think there was going to be enough of stuff to to have a whole sermon whole teaching on so you know i kind of went to prayer and i'm trying to discern in my own spirit i'm like god you know what do you what do you want me to talk about what do you want me to do and and i do believe i came i've come to the conclusion that what we're going to speak about though i don't think we're going to go long today i do believe it's very important i do believe that the lord has something for us in just a few short verses of of his text of of the of, of the gospel of um, Malachi, the book of Malachi. And so we're going to spend some time talking about it. And I'll tell you right now, it's about marriage. And I think that we can all use a encouragement in our marriages, how we treat each other, husband and wife. And so that's kind of where we're going to go this morning. And so without further ado, Malachi chapter 2 Verse, one back, 13. Another thing you do, this is God talking. You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And you ask why? So something is going on here. The people have come to a realization that something is happening or maybe not happening. And they're going to the altar in tears. They're very upset about what is taking place. They have realized that God is no longer paying attention to them, to their offerings, to their sacrifices, to their traditions, to their rituals. God is no longer seems to be interested in the things that they are doing. And we really don't know how they've come to this realization because it really doesn't say, but, but the way it's written, we can say that they are experiencing something. Or, or maybe we can say that they're, they're not experiencing something. That they've sensed the presence of God is gone. If it was for us today, we would say that the Lord is no longer present in the church. And so they worship and they sacrifice and they pray and there's nothing. It's almost 
done, it's, it almost becomes a rote thing for them. Nothing is happening. And we see that they were going to the altar in tears, but it's not a godly sorrow. It's not a sorrow that's going to lead them to repentance. And here's why, because they ask the simple question, why? Hey God, what did we do wrong? Why, why, aren't you, why aren't you doing the God stuff as we're doing the God stuff? Why aren't you responding to us? See, they failed to look at themselves. They failed to look inward. And they're, all, they're blaming God. You remember how this starts out, the whole book. They come before God and say, oh, you love us? How do you love us? They're accusing God. And they continue to accuse him, accuse him by saying, what, do, what? what have we done? What have we, what have we done so bad that you have removed your presence from us? They, they're sad with a selfishness. See, they want something that they used to have, but they don't have it anymore. And they've, they're blaming God for it instead of looking at themselves. And God being the gracious God that he is, he will tell them exactly what they've done wrong. It's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard. And do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. The men of Israel are divorcing their wives. The ones from their youth, when they were very young and they committed themselves in that covenant of marriage, their first wives, they are divorcing their wives. Now, I want to chat for a few minutes with those people in our community that have experienced divorce. Because there are people here that have experienced divorce. Now here's the thing. God doesn't like divorce. It's, it's, it's in the Bible. God does not like divorce. The scriptures allow it for the reason of adultery. But even then, God doesn't like divorce. And see, and all too often, we kind of we land, I've heard it over and over again, that we land on this idea that the reason why God doesn't like divorce is because God keeps his covenants and so should you. Listen, God is faithful to his covenant promises and so we should be faithful to our covenant promise. No matter what, See, I, I think we get that a little bit wrong because if God knew that we can keep all the covenant promises, then he wouldn't have sent Jesus for our forgiveness. And so, and so too often this thing comes across as you stay married no matter what. No matter what, you stay married. And it makes God seem like this heartless brute. Like he doesn't care. He's just, he's just letter of the law. I'm faithful. You better stay faithful. Now, I do believe that divorce is an epidemic in our culture. It almost becomes this temporary thing. 
people just, just, you know, you just read in the, um, like in the Hollywood thing. I mean, people just weave in and out of marriage. They stay married for a while. They get divorced. I mean, how many times have you seen, you know, people married for a few days or a few hours? That's the big scandal. So it, it has, it has uh, divorce has become an, an epidemic. But here's what I've learned about the heart of God as I've spent more and more time with him. You know why God doesn't like divorce? I, I mean, this, this is coming from me. You know why? Because he sees the pain and the brokenness it causes in people's lives and how it pulls apart families. That's why I believe God doesn't like divorce. You, you know, the marriage covenants, being married, um, in the Hebrew it's called dod, and it's, it's the mingling of souls. And that's, that's what takes place in a covenant marriage, a covenant relationship of marriage. It's the mingling of souls. So there's a connection that goes way beyond just a legal piece of paper filed at the town hall. There's something deeply spiritual that, that happens, that takes place in the contents, context of marriage. And so when, when selfishness kind of sets in, and, and I believe that's, that's a huge root of divorce in our society, this idea of selfishness. So when that sets in, and all of a sudden, one or both partners are, are selfish, and then the marriage dissolves, and the divorce happens, something very deep in us becomes broken and shattered. Something deep in our soul and deep in our hearts, it, it, just, it just gets torn apart. That's why God doesn't like divorce. Because of how it hurts people. How it breaks them. And, 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 and so let's, I mean, and then we can talk about the things that we can, we can define. You know, the feeling of betrayal. Broken trust. That hurt, that hurt goes, goes deep. And there are people that carry that around for a long time. Sometimes people carry that around for a lifetime. And then, and then let's just sprinkle in feelings of failure, like you failed. Or maybe, maybe you feel like you weren't good enough. And those, those, those hurt people and those scar people. That's why God doesn't like divorce. That's not the way he intended his creation to live, in that brokenness. It's not what he intended, how he intended marriage to end up. But I want to share some good news with you that have experienced that. And that good news is Jesus. If you've experienced divorce for any reason, I want to encourage you to continue to run to Christ. And there you will find grace and hope and healing and wholeness forgiveness even if you were the selfish one run to christ and find forgiveness and wholeness and peace you don't have to carry around that junk anymore you can let that junk just fall away and be made whole listen to me eyes up here divorce does not define you Jesus Christ defines you, not divorce. You are a child of God. And you are forgiven, not because you're good enough, but because of what Christ has done on the cross. 
You are not a divorcee. You're God's daughter. You're God's son. I want you to run to him. Cling to him. And he will make you whole. I want to pray right now for people who have experienced divorce. And so let's just, just take a minute. God, you know the brokenness that people experience. God, I pray that you would bring the spirit of healing into this room right now. Lord, I pray that it would fall upon those whose hearts have been broken, whose trusts have been broken, whose faith has been broken, whose lives have been broken. Lord, I pray that you would bring the spirit of healing upon them right now, that they would release all of that junk and that garbage in their lives that tell them that they weren't good enough or that they, that they failed in some way, and that they would stand firm in the grace and the glory that is Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that there would be healing here this morning. No, Lord, I claim healing this morning. By your grace, your mercy, by your power and authority. Amen. So, what's happening is the men of Israel are divorcing their wives. They're being unfaithful to them. And uh, there's some speculation as to why this might be happening. But it seems to come down to this. They want something new. They want something exciting. They want something a little bit different. They kind of got bored with the wives of, of their youth. And now they want something that's, you know, they want the new model, I guess. Maybe we could put it that way. Because he remember that marriage back then, it took place at a very early age. You know, girls were in their early teens when they were married. And so, and so the guys want something different. You see, there's a heart condition going on with these guys. See, all of this, all of this has been about a heart, the heart condition of the people. Maybe, maybe they want the younger wife from the other culture because she's a little bit more exotic. And they no longer want the, their wife of their, of their youth. She's gotten older. She's gotten less energetic. Whatever the poor excuse is, they don't want her anymore. They want somebody that's new. And so the men are divorcing their wives. And because of that, they have broken communion with God. Because God sees this as something very serious. Now, you know, I guess, I guess I could talk about divorce. And I really didn't want to go there because, you know, there's, there's not really a lot to say about it. So I really, this is where I came into the time of prayer and the sermon. I was like, God, what do you have for us in the context of these scriptures? I mean, I mean what, what can you reveal to us? And, and so as I thought through, it, it really is a heart condition. The men of Israel have a heart problem. Because they're not worshiping the Lord their God. They're not submitting to him. There's a heart problem with them. And they want something new. And so they go out and they find something new. And it just so happens that their something new is in the context of another woman. Maybe an exotic woman from some other far off land, culture. Something new and exciting. And so what does God have for us in this? This morning, I would like to talk a little bit to the married couples. 
and the single people who maybe want to be married. And if you're single and don't want to be married, God bless you. <laughs> hey, Paul says it too, you know. It better you be like Paul, single dude, whooping it up. Woo, woo, only kidding. Uh, so, so that's what I want to talk to you this morning. I want to talk to you about being divorced while you're still married. You know, divorce in America is at a rate of about 50%. Half of all marriages that take place will end. And in the church, the number's not much better. Half of, all the American, uh, half of all the marriages in evangelical Christianity, God's people, will end in divorce. And so I see that happening, you know, and I'm aware of all that. But what I also see in our culture and in the church is a husband and wife separating while they're, still be, while they're still married. Yeah, you're legally married. You live in the same house. You sleep in the same bed. You eat dinner maybe at the table. You still have the joint checking accounts. But as you live your lives, they live their lives as two separate people. That cliche of ships just passing in the night. And so the job becomes the other man. Your buddies become the other woman, or the hobby, or the TV, or the computer, or the grandkids, or whatever, a combination of them all. Busyness becomes the other, the significant other, the thing that you want, the, th- the new thing that you're desiring. Divorce is about the legal separation of a man and a woman. The marriage is now done. But what I see also are men and women living separate lives together. Almost like they're divorced. They stay together. You know, God has given us the covenant of marriage. It's something that he has blessed his creation with from the beginning, right? We're called to live in harmony with him, and that harmony is supposed, to, is supposed to infiltrate every part of our being. And then when a man and a woman come together, the Bible says that they're, they're, the two become one flesh, and that God harmony is supposed to be in their marriage also. But it, it gets very easy to grow apart. It gets very easy to separate See, that's the danger of it. It's easy. It's easy to go in different directions. It's easy not to, not to, to separate yet still be married. It's convenient to have somebody looking over the checkbook, making sure the house is in order, while, while these two lives just move in different directions. That's the problem. It's easy. We get comfortable. We get lazy. We get complacent. We become indifferent. And our lives just kind of go this way. Growing apart for a husband and wife can be very, very easy. Just like, just like weeds in a garden. You know, you ever plant a garden and then just leave it alone. See what happens. Weeds just grow. They don't take a lot of tending. Weeds will grow anywhere. And left, left unchecked, they will take over everything that's good in the garden. See, that's the danger of this whole thing. It's easy to live separate while we're together. And all of a sudden, you wake up one morning, 
And you look at the person next to you and it's like you don't even know them anymore. Maybe you wake up and you don't even like her anymore. Don't think that the church is immune to this. Almost 50% of all the marriages that take place in evangelical Christianity will end in divorce. And I would say that long before those papers are signed and filed, the separation took place long before that. And so married couples, people who want to be married, listen up. Married couples, are you putting in the effort? Are you listening and loving each other? Do you know each other's desires? Or are you just selfishly um, imposing your own desire on your spouse? Where does your husband want to be in five years? Husbands, where, do you, where does your wife want to be in five years? Maybe if you asked her now, she'd say, <laughs> not with you. And you laugh, but unfortunately it takes place more than we want to admit. What is your spouse, what, what, is their, what are they aspiring to? What are they becoming passionate about? Where is God leading them in their lives? Are you encouraging each other's strengths or just continually pointing out the weaknesses? These are questions we've got to get a hold of. We have to wrestle with as husbands and as wives and even single people. You have to wrestle with these questions. See, you know how you get to know each other? It's really easy. (laughs) Ready for this? I'm not even going to charge you extra for this one. Spend time with each other. You can go to a marriage seminar, cost you a hundred bucks. That's what it comes down to. Spend time with each other. Not just time in the house, not just in a general geographic location, not just in silence in front of the TV. We go to the movies every night. Yeah, a lot of good conversation comes about in the movies. I mean, I mean, when you spend time together, being together, doing together, being present with each other. And from that, meaningful conversation comes out of that. You cannot plan quality time. You can plan quantity of time, but you cannot plan quality of time. Quality comes from quantity. And from that, deep, meaningful intimacy comes with the time spent together of a husband and a wife. Conversation and relationship that deepens the mingling of your souls. You know, Many marriages in our culture, and I believe many marriages in the church, they can't measure that kind of time in hours per week. It's probably, can me- it's probably easier to measure in minutes per week. Well, you know, we got the kids, we got our jobs, we got the house, we got the family, we got my favorite shows that are on, we got this, we, we, got, we got the other thing, and, 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 and then, oh, don't add in that, because it just... Here's the truth. You are busy with exactly what you've chosen to be busy with. You are busy with exactly what you've decided to busy yourself with. So why not busy yourself with your spouse? The dishes are going to be there in the morning. Amen to that in our house. (laughs) 
you know, and, and, and what I see in guys, guys look for emotional or even intellectual intimacy. And now we'd never use the word intimacy because that's just like, ew. But, you know, that's what it really is. We, you, we, we, we look for those things in our friends, in our buddies, in other people. Then we come home and we expect the physical intimacy with our wives to happen. That's just not right. That's broken. And so for both husband and wife, stop complaining about each other. Stop. She's not doing this. He won't do that. She does this. He does that. He doesn't get it. She doesn't get it. Has that got you anywhere? I'm not saying you. I mean, your friends. Stop the selfishness. Stop the always I want. Take responsibility for your marriage. It's yours too. Not just hers. Not just his. It's yours. Come to grips with the roles that God has given a husband and a wife in the scriptures. You know what? Read Ephesians 5 once in a while. Read 1 Peter 3 once in a while. Press into what God has called you to as a husband and as a wife. Don't just wait until he starts and then, okay, then I'm going to start. Or when she starts, then then I will start doing that. That's not what the scriptures teach. Wives, you are called to love your husbands in a very specific way. Open the scriptures and learn it. Meditate on it. Contemplate it. Let it soak into your very soul. If you're not loving your husband the way the scriptures tell us that you should, I would say that you are not submitting your life to Jesus Christ. Husbands, you are called to a very specific way to love your wives. And I will tell you, there's a whole lot more in there about us loving them than them loving us. We are called to a very specific way. Open the scriptures. Learn it. Meditate on it. Contemplate it. Let it soak deep down into your soul and live it. Because if you're not loving your wives the way that Christ has called us to, I would say you are not submitting your life to Jesus Christ under his lordship, under his headship. Our submission to Jesus influences our marriage, influences who we are as a husband, influences who we are as a wife. And you see, here's the thing. It's that simple. I mean, I know we want to make it complicated. You, know, but, but you, you don't know my wife. Flames shoot out of her face. Puppies die in her presence. It's not that complicated. It's really that simple. You know, when I do, do weddings um, and I give my little charge to the bride and groom, uh, at, at the end, I usually like to end with, with this thought. I tell them, I say, listen, marriage is not give and take. 
Marriage is give and give. To see when there's two people giving each other grace and love and patience and kindness and presence and being, then, then nobody is taking anything. But there's two people receiving grace and love and kindness and presence, mercy, patience. And receiving is a very, very different posture from taking. Are you living divorced while you're still married? Now, I got to talk to the guys because unfortunately this is to the guys. And I tried to bring the women in as much as I could, guys. So, you know, I try to be an equal opportunity offender here, but it, I got to talk to the guys. I can't get away from this. Because look what it says. Um, the man who hates and divorces his wife, maybe we can say unfaithful to his wife, maybe we can say separates from his wife. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. Does violence to the one that he should protect. The one that you're supposed to be protecting spiritually, emotionally, Physically, you do violence to them. You're hurting them. It's not my words. It's the word of God. That hurts me as a guy. Because I know that you think that I'm the perfect husband. But I do have some room to grow. And I know I've done violence to my wife. By not protecting her spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And then, if we're going to land there, we've got to move into 1 Peter 3. When it says this, guys, you better love your wives so nothing hinders your prayers. Uh-oh. What? So, have you ever... Talking to the gentleman here, wives, there's no jibbing or ribbing or anything. Husbands, have you ever prayed and prayed and prayed and it's like God's not even listening to you? Like it just kind of goes up in the air. It's almost like, it's, it's almost like um, he looked, he's not looking with favor on your offering. He's not pleased with anything that's coming from your hand. And so you think, maybe if I read the Bible more, that'll do it. I'll read the Bible more. I'll go to the men's breakfasts. I'll go to the men's Bible study. God has got to notice those things. Those are good things. Then he will, then my prayer life will, will come alive again. Maybe we need to look at our submission to the Lord Jesus Christ first. And if that submission to God is directly proportional to how we treat our wives, then maybe we need to also look at how we are treating our wives, how we are treating our marriage. Are we honoring, gentlemen, are we honoring our vows? Are we honoring our wife? To honor means to recognize the value of something and then do something about it. Respond to it. Treat it for what it is. Are we honoring our marriage and our wives? Now, we can ask the ladies the same thing. 
And I'm going to ask you that and then just leave it there because I'm talking to the guys now. No person can have a healthy, effective spiritual life without a vibrant prayer life. And I say vibrant because your prayer life is directly related to your spiritual health. And so nobody could live a a vibrant spiritual life without a vibrant prayer life because prayer, it anchors us. It sustains us. It humbles us. It focuses us on Christ and the cross and him crucified because that's the only place that we can go for any, uh, any, any power or strength to, to live this life that he calls us to. And so prayer is that anchor in our lives. And no husband is going to have a healthy prayer life unless he submits to Jesus Christ and loves his wife the way he is called to love her in the scriptures. Gentlemen, is your prayer life kind of lame? Maybe tonight you'll do the dishes and not leave them for the morning. Again, it really comes down to being that simple. Do we live separate, divorced lives while we're still married? It's not what God would have for us. Marriage is the blessing. It is God's gift to us. Lord, I want to pray for husbands and wives this morning. That they would recognize they are in need of you, your grace and mercy on them. That they would go to you for the strength and that you would anoint them with your spirit, allowing them, empowering them to love each other as you've called us to. And Lord, I pray I pray that there's forgiveness here this morning between husbands and wives. Lord, we know that we're not perfect and that we're broken, but I pray for forgiveness over husbands and wives. I pray for reconciliation of even the smallest things that are going on in marriages. That, Lord, that your spirit of reconciliation would be here and that forgiveness would abound and joy would be the the result of that. Lord, I pray that you would empower women to love their husbands. And I pray that you would empower husbands to love their wives. Amen. Amen. Well, I do love you guys.